So I was at Barnes and Noble, but the reason I'm telling the story is in two weeks, we're at episode 100 and we figure we should do something special and we're batting ideas around. But I was at Barnes and Noble and a couple of books I wanted to pitch you guys were one was that there were three of them and I, I have them on the shelf outside. They were all related to the early American documents. So one is all of the, uh, what were Hamilton's letters called again? I'm just blanking out because I'm on the spot. Federalist, the Federalist papers. papers. Thank you. The Federalist papers. Yeah. Then there was Constitution, Declaration of Independence, and all the major documents. And then the third book is one of the, one great speech by every single president. Oh, That's wow. Cool. <laughs> and there's like a sequence to them that kind of like, you can like interweave them together. You start with the Federalist Papers, then you look at the important documents, early speeches, then you go back and forth between president speeches and the documents. And I was just like thumbing through it and they just, it looks amazing. It would be like a month of reading, but maybe it's a post great book series. Could be cool. Yeah. 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 Post great Which book series is in like ten years, so that's we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we want to start planning for post great books. Post great books are like whenever we like raise the white flag on great books. Like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we already halfway have. I think we're like just doing. Yeah. We're, we're just pulling. We still. all forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> I did not forget. Okay, Adil did not forget. <laughs> yeah, this is why Adil is here. He's the adult in the room. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, Nat, before before you hopped on, we were talking about episode 100 and we were like, maybe there's yeah, a montage yeah. episode or like something where, remember that one time we went through all the episodes and we spent five minutes on each book and we set a timer? We did that twice. Yeah, we can't we, do that we were now. We're doing that every 20 episodes. Yeah. We, we can't do that now though, because that'll be like a 500 <laughs> no, minute be tough. episode. <laughs> It'd be long. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Adil was suggesting maybe since he was suggesting starting with just the ones that since he joined so maybe like it's 26 27 episodes of deal oh yeah. yeah so basically since we brought it back early last year that'd be fun do yeah. a recap yeah. recap of uh the new made you think the yeah. new made you think new and improved <laughs> sort of <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> new and <Newer>. different yeah. <laughs> um, um yeah. I was going to say, have we talked about this? Like Barnes and Noble actually is kind of coming back. Oh, really? No, we haven't talked about yeah. this. Yeah. This is like an interesting thing I've noticed on Book Talk. Like among sort of Gen Z types, like Barnes and Noble is the like cute indie bookstore competitor to Amazon. Wow. I just, I just yeah. Googled it. Barnes & Noble ended 2022 with some surprising news. After more than a decade of shuttering locations, the chain plans to debut 30 new stores this year. Wow. Yeah. It's it's like coming back. And Guys, it's Barnes really & Noble funny. sponsorship. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch these TikToks, it's like, it's just so interesting because I remember when Barnes & Noble was like the behemoth you know, competitor that Amazon was slowly chipping away at. And now it's like this, they pulled the Uno reverse card. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but now it's like, oh, go support your local bookstore. Like you're fucking Barnes and Noble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then in, in 20 years, it'll be go support. Yeah. Your, yeah. Yeah. No, they are I, like some of the New York ones are like actually kind of fun, like fun places to, to hang out at. Well, they're, they're nice to hang out yeah. in. They're, they're well laid out. Uh, there, there's also this drama because Barnes and Noble now has these like huge book talk sections where they like feature the books that have gone viral on book talk, but 
they like don't give any credit to the creators like don't involve them don't mention them they're just like kind of leeching off of it so there's also this like other side of a lot of book talk people being like fuck barnes and noble (laughs) like they're just exploiting their their uh their work a little bit I don't know. This is a drama that I'm a little over-invested in, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I go to the Barnes & Noble by Union Square pretty often, and mm. they have a book talk section there. I actually thought of you yeah. when I was there. Maybe we'll walk in, and when they start giving some credit to the influencers, just see a there we big go. old life-size big cub- cardboard, cardboard cut out cardboard of me. Cut out of Next time I go, I'm like, that recommends. Hey, the made you think section? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, the made you think they're like we we would do it, but the books have no theme and they just appear randomly. <laughs> <laughs> we we had no idea what section to put it in. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did a video on uh, three body problem last night. It's up to like two hundred thirty thousand views on TikTok. I liked it. It was a good video. Kind of cool. It's a good video. Not on TikTok. I saw it on Instagram, but you know, it's I'm so interesting what does well on TikTok versus Instagram because that one didn't do that well on Instagram, and then just like. It's my best performing video in a while on TikTok. It's kind of cool. Is it just kind of like what gets uh, picked up by the algorithm, or is it like somebody like I, I? Is there like some similar concept as like retweeting or reposting? And it's just like there, repost there are reposts. People don't do them very often. It's really just all what gets picked up by the algorithm. And the thing I've noticed, one thing I've noticed is that. TikTok seems to like those like hide the book cover until the end 20 30 second videos more than Instagram does. So it's it's just kind of interesting what type of content does better on on which site. Hmm. Yeah, I noticed I mean you post is it the same video on TikTok and Instagram? That you post? Yeah, 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 that's what I thought. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, I mean why make two videos for for that? It, that's actually one of the interesting things with short form video is it's one of the only mediums that you can a hundred percent repurpose onto three different platforms. Hmm. Like a YouTube video, you can't really repurpose anywhere. Tweets, you can't repurpose anywhere. Instagram photos, you can't repurpose anywhere. Podcasts, you can kind of repurpose onto YouTube, right? Like you know that that's one but then a short form video you can basically put the exact same one on YouTube, Instagram and TikTok. There's little differences especially like what length performs better. Like TikTok really wants mm. you to do longer than 60 second videos because YouTube doesn't let you do longer than 60 second shorts. So now TikTok's rewarding longer videos because they don't want you to repurpose them to YouTube. So there's like a little bit of that stuff, but for the most part you can put the exact same video in all three spots, which is pretty convenient. What's Instagram? If like 90 seconds. 90 seconds, okay. So yeah, 90 seconds I wouldn't noticed work for YouTube, but it'd work for TikTok YouTube. and Instagram. Yeah, TikTok lets you go up to 10 minutes now. It's oh, kind wow. of crazy. I would imagine the uh, retention on that drops like crazy at like 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Yeah, it depends. I mean, I, there's a lot of TikToks in the two to three minute range that I'll get through. I haven't really watched anything longer than that. But TikTok's pushing it pretty hard because you get better algorithm placement if you're longer than 60 seconds now, and mm-hmm. you get paid if your videos are longer than 60 seconds. So you're you're only eligible for a cut of ad revenue on TikTok for videos that are longer than 60 seconds. Wow, that's an interesting incentive. They're really pushing that. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. Huh. That seems counter to what they made them big, but I don't really understand it that well. Yeah, I think it's kind of a what got you here won't get you there thing, right? It's like... 
they they started off with that and that got a lot of people hooked and now people are slowly i think it's like that got people hooked but now people spend so much time in it that they're open to longer videos than they were originally right where it was just like a new version of vine does youtube shorts even register compared to the traffic you get on instagram and tiktok for me it doesn't but for some people it does Okay. Like there are really big YouTube shorts creators. It's not very revenue driving right now. So a lot of YouTube people aren't too focused on it. I mean, because you could just make so much money on YouTube if you're good. But you, it's, it's hard to make as much on TikTok and Instagram. But the algorithm for YouTube shorts just seems very different for some reason. Hmm. Or my or the way I'm doing it, people on YouTube don't like. I'm not really sure why. It's just crazy because like my most popular YouTube short has like 2,000 views. Hmm. And my what most popular reel, my, mo- my most popular reel has eight and a half million. Wow. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> there's, there's, and I've, I've probably like 10, like seven to 10 TikToks that have over a million views, right? Wow. Like the, the difference is huge. Yeah. Uh, and just literally not a single thing has done well on YouTube shorts, which is crazy. I had written off short form on the multiple platforms a bit because as there were like new, like, ways of posting if you remember when stories were first a thing and then when mm-hmm. uh, clubhouse came out and everyone copied everything and eventually there was just like one person who won so like twitter spaces won the live audio instagram appears to have won stories with some demographics i sort of assumed that short form would play out the same way but it it doesn't seem to be or it's still in contest yeah i i would say it's still in contest i, I think one of the surprising things with it is that instagram has actually made a pretty big dent right like reels have gotten very popular and mm. I think it helps. I th- one of the big things that really helps is that brands pay a lot more for Instagram placement than TikTok placement. And I think creators prefer mm. to build an audience on Instagram than TikTok. Mm. One, because you can get paid more, but two, the the distribution, there's a higher variance on TikTok. So like You'll if I have a video that does poorly on TikTok, it'll get like five to ten thousand views. But my floor on an Instagram video is like twenty to thirty thousand views, and I've almost the so same number higher. of followers. Yeah, by a lot. Yeah, so the floor is higher on Instagram, but things take off on TikTok a little more often. So you'll get those like spurts of you know crazy virality uh, on TikTok that you don't always get on Instagram. But I mean, like you can get it on Reels too. I mean, like my most popular video on either platform is a Reel. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, Reels have made a pretty big impact. I don't know how big shorts are, honestly. Yeah. Like, I people send me, like, Neil, you send me Reels, right? Like, other friends send me Reels. I send people Reels. And I send people TikToks. I've never had somebody send me a short. <laughs> Same. Right? Like, <laughs> but I, just, I always feel that way with YouTube. Like, YouTube's a little bit of a bubble thing, I, I think. Because, I don't know, I don't use YouTube very often. I, like, I used to use it, I feel like, a lot more than i do now but it's still so popular i know yeah that's weird i use youtube all the time interesting so but you don't I watch shorts YouTube. but you don't really watch no, YouTube I don't shorts. Watch shorts. See, I so that's YouTube like an interesting like, thing too it's like i wonder who YouTube that audience is like is. my coursera i like pay for premium that's the thing uh, yeah yeah i, watch. I learn yeah. stuff on youtube yeah yeah, yeah. actually yeah well, i do have a couple friends who listen to every podcast on youtube too or watch every comment like, yeah as long as you pay for premium so you can like do the whole lock screen thing. That's super yeah. interesting. Speaking of podcasts, uh, we are here to discuss. <laughs> well, that, was the, the episode, that was the yeah. short form video, you know, mini masterclass <laughs> to unlock the rest of it. 
make sure you <laughs> sign up for Nat's that. course. Yeah. <laughs> First sponsor, uh. <laughs> Nat's short form video course. You actually probably have the credibility to do it. Uh, you'll probably get some messages now. Be like, Nat, where do I sign up for your yeah. course? <laughs> I know. Yeah, but I guess an awkward transition to the book now. <laughs> we're, today we're covering completely what unrelated topic. Yep. Yeah, well, I'm sure there'll be a reel about about this book at some point on Nat's channel. There you I'm go. Confused. Connected it. A good book. Connected it. Yeah. The book is what your food ate, and basically, I mean, the core theme of this of this book is essentially that our food today is a lot less nutritionally dense uh, because what it is grown in. And then I guess the animals that we eat, what they eat is, is also less nutritionally dense. And it all kind of cascades up into our health. So we're eating a lot more in terms of calories. Uh, I think starvation is a lot less prevalent, which is a good thing uh, in the world. But the actual nutrient density of what we're eating has actually gone down. So even though we're eating a lot of calories, we're all in some ways starving for nutrients at the same time. I thought it was a really interesting premise. Like I had never thought about it that way. I just always thought like, oh, like America has so many fat people because we eat too much. But in some ways, it's actually is a more empathetic approach. It's like people might be eating so much because actually their body is craving something that they're not actually able to get through any yeah. of their food sources. Like, yeah. You're getting higher yields and the fruit and produce are larger, but like pound for pound, it's so much worse. Some of the stats in here were really wild about how much the nutrient density in food varies based on how it's grown, right? Like it, it, I mean, and they cited so much research, right? Like this is an interesting book, I thought, because it's, you know, there's not a ton of narrative through it. It is very info dumpy. So you have to be okay with like reading through a lot of just like stats and examples and, you know, different studies and things. They keep it light enough. You know, it's very parsable, right? Yeah. Uh, it's very readable, uh, but it, it's a ton of information. It's like, it, it's information dense without being like a dense read. And shockingly, um, this they, is their, this is the guy's third book, I think, about similar topics. Like, um, oh, wow. Yeah, and it's kind of related to what we were talking about. I think in the last episode or the episode before, where a lot of times like nonfiction authors, like it's kind of the same concept, but then sort of peters out because they've run out of stuff to mm -hmm. say. I haven't read any of their other stuff. I think it's the same two co-authors. Like, this is the fourth book. Fourth book. Yeah, not even the third book. Yeah. I'm curious how yeah. much of it is also in the other books or is this all new information? Because this was, you're right, so de information dense. Oh, you know... Okay, this is actually an interesting topic that would be fun to explore. So their their first book is called Dirt, the Erosion of Civilizations. It's and history of uh, eroded soil. I think right? we must have talked about this before at some point, but like that there is a study of history that talks about how civilizations rise and fall based on the quality of their soil. Yep. Well, and actually right? that ties like, to flood myths because in this book, yeah. one of the things they talk about is that as your soil gets depleted, it can hold a lot less water and it leads to bigger and bigger floods. Yeah. And, and the it also ties into fourth turning. Ties into fourth People turning. start to leave. <laughs> yeah, it falls apart. Like it, it's a really interesting hypothesis. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Gustin, who also has a really great podcast on health, has talked about this as like something he's been exploring more too. That's uh, so interesting. Because like Wendell, Wendell Berry writes about it in some of his essays too about like 
it's actually to protect America's future as like a world power. We need to care more about the soil, which is not something that I think most people would ever connect together in their heads, but is a very kind of like compelling premise when you dig into it. Yeah, it, it, it kind of helps to view it as a pyramid. That's kind of the sense I got from this book that basically the base layer of the pyramid is the soil. Then it's like the plants that kind of are on top of that, then the animals, then like human health. Uh, maybe it's simplistic because I think there's other variables too. It's like, well, yeah, like all the I was going to say that there's stuff. There's another level in there that I really didn't know about before reading this book, but the whole like mycorrhizal fungi layer yep. in the soil, yep. like between between the soil and plant layer. It's like the like soil microbiome. Whole, it's like we got the gut yeah, microbiome. Yeah. There's like the soil microbiome. Super interesting. Yeah. When I started talking about the density of the book, one, one thing I was getting at was all these stats about how you could you could look at like two pieces of kale or spinach or whatever, and one of them could have five to ten times the nutrient content of the other one. And it would not be obvious looking at them, like which one is which. But yeah, you literally have to eat ten times as much of the other one to get the same nutrients as the like properly raised one. Yeah, there were two two examples that kind of exactly to what you're talking about, Nat, that came top of mind. So one was um, the example about like omega three versus omega six fats in different types of animals and how they're raised. So like, yeah, there was that it's example seven like x difference. Yeah, there was an example where a conventionally farmed piece of salmon, like one serving of salmon, versus a grass fed, regeneratively farmed ribeye steak had more omega-3s and people eat salmon for the omega-3s but the steak had more omega-3 than the conventionally farmed salmon and they were saying us other types of conventionally farmed fish it's like a 10 to 1 omega-6 to omega-3 ratio where people are eating but people are eating fish for the omega-3s and i think yeah i think the second example and then i'll kind of uh, tie it together is the soybean examples did you guys catch that Mm, like I think mm-hmm. I don't know I feel like in my bubble I've been taught soy is like not good for you but it seems that actually it's based on your gut microbiome changes how you digest soy and it seems to have a lot of actually beneficial purposes but based on the individual who's consuming it your body processes it different because you take essentially the ingredients or the compounds within soybeans and then you almost like change them and I mean you digest them and they change into other things in your body but if you don't have the right gut bacteria, you can't have that right transformation and then it might cause issues. So it's like, I don't know, these things make nutritional research so impossible because it's like when they say like, oh, this food causes cancer, there's just like a million other variables that go into it. Like, how was that food grown? Yeah. Is it standardized? Like, is everyone getting the same type of tomato if you're studying tomatoes? What else are they eating? Because it seems like there's all this synergistic stuff between different types of foods that you eat. It's just like it, it's so hard to do this kind of research, which is why you kind of have to revert back to like the grandma wisdom uh, with food. And that's kind of the only approach that works, I, I think. And it reminds me of that blog post uh, reality has a surprising amount of detail. Like when people talk mm. about Americans eating red meat and it being bad for you, we know the nuance there because we're like, yeah, I know the difference between a Burger King patty and a steak, but then a tomato is a tomato. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I was actually going to say tomatoes were one of the ones that I feel like I got red pilled on kind of early hmm. because I always thought I hated tomatoes. And then like some, I don't know where I was, but somebody got like a caprese with 
like an heirloom locally grown tomato and it was you know like purple and dark dark red and just like oozed onto the plate and i was like oh this is a different it's not the same thing thing. yeah it's not the same (laughs) thing yeah yeah i and it it, the whole book i thought this is the most nuanced and compelling take on diet that i think i've read and it's not a diet book i mean like it kind of is but I think it's like reading the book, the thing that really came through was like, one, nutritional diversity is super important, right? So not eating the same thing every day. Not eating the same thing over and over again is really, really important. And eating as nutrient-dense of foods as possible is really, really important. Um, Like more, even almost more so than almost like anything else. And it, it actually made me feel like I kind of had... Like we we spend our family probably spends more on food than like most other things, and there's always a little bit of the back of your head, or it's like, why am I paying so much for the like you know mm. grass fed local like steak? Or like, yeah, it tastes better, but is it like really that much better? Or like, why are you, like why does all of your produce have to be organic and like all of this stuff? And then reading this book, I'm like, oh, it actually makes like a huge fucking difference. <laughs> yeah, and like, it also it changes yeah. the metrics by which you're doing that math, right? Because it's like, oh, a yeah. pound of you know, conventional tomatoes versus a pound of those heirloom tomatoes. It's they're not at all the same thing. So it's like even if one like the heirloom one costs double, it's probably like four times nutritionally dense. So you're like, all right, this is a good yeah. deal. You kind of like psyop yourself then into thinking that this is a good deal. The, which it probably which it the is. Salmon. Oh, oh totally. Yeah. You have to change your mindset on why you're eating. Right. Right. Like you're not eating, you're not eating for quantity. Yeah, you're not just eating for calories. Yeah. yeah. It actually like I mean one one thing that I've sort of changed from reading it is like just trying to eat less like rice and mm. kind of like lower nutrient calories because it when you think about it as to your point neil like every calorie has a nutrient trade-off right and so if you're getting 100 calories from a low nutrient dense source that's 100 calories you're not getting from like a high nutrient dense source and assuming you don't want to gain a bunch of weight like you're going to malnourish yourself by eating too many like low nutrient density foods. Yeah. So you kind of have to decide like, okay, I'm going to eat fewer of these things so I can eat more of like these things over here. And it's like the steak and stuff too, right? Like, you know, six or eight ounces of, you know, ground beef mixed with organ meat, like, like, uh, you know, force of nature has that ancestral yeah. blend ground beef. Have you guys had that? Yep. Yeah. Which has it's like pretty good. organ meat mixed with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got heart and liver mixed into it in the same ratio as it is in the animal, I think. So it's like 10% liver and 5% heart. I think it's like a little more than the actual animal ratio, but it just tastes like, you know, ground beef, but that's like so much more nutritious of, ground beef than you know what, what you would normally get um, also you can taste the so, difference i i, I really yeah, think it's like yeah. there's like a totally taste it yeah for almost all these foods like the first time i ever had milk that was like from a regenerate like a regenerative farm and and mm-hmm. just like you could i probably hadn't drank a glass of milk like by itself since i was maybe 20 years old but i put this milk in my coffee and it almost tasted like creamer like it was yeah. so tasty so then i was like let me just have like a small glass of milk just to see what this tastes like it even had like a little like sweetness it actually isn't pure white it has like because it's grass-fed and like depending on what the cows are eating so it has like like yellow it has a slight yellow tint to it yep 
and it, yeah, and have you gotten on the raw milk? Oh no, this is raw milk this, game yeah, yeah, yeah. This was raw. It's raw from a farm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's so fucking good compared so to so good. And, and it's like a different drink. <laughs> it's not the same thing. It's actually like it feels criminal yeah. that you can call both things milk. Like one is milk, yeah, one is like a milk is. product. <laughs> it's like a VR yeah. version of milk. It like has like the same general properties. Mm-hmm. Well, and also I I know uh, Nat, like you've made your own uh, kefir before, uh, like yeah, you know oh, really? the fermented drink, but it's I, I made it from raw milk. It was yeah. fucking awesome. Was well, the so thing that's good. cool about raw milk is that it actually has a it has enzymes and bacteria in its own microbiome yeah. already because it's not pasteurized. It's not so pasteurized. It, it makes you really think like how much of our I don't know body I, I, like ancestrally how much we were getting like in support from the food that we ate for our microbiome that we just mm-hmm. are not getting like you know the average person who's eating like processed food and even if they're drinking milk which is probably a step up honestly for some of the other things that people drink like you know you're not getting any microbiome support at all yeah I, I, i've been trying to eat a lot more like kimchi in particular for that like we uh, we get like a jar of it from whole foods pretty much every week which i, I like mm-hmm. I, I would love to find an even better source maybe i can find like a farmer's market one it's not pasteurized so it's whole, still whole foods is not terrible though i mean they have they have good no options. no it, it, it can be bad depending as, on what you buy but they have good options they, they do have good yeah options. i mean the, the organic produce there is probably the best you're going to get access to of a big box retailer yeah and they actually have they actually have in most Whole Foods that I've seen now from on the milk point, they do have a, it's not raw, but it, it's regeneratively farmed, A2. grass-fed, yeah. A2 milk from, it's like Alexander Farms or something like that. There's uh, a few of them now. Yeah. They, the A2 is caught on pretty fast, yeah. which is great because yeah. that's like as close as you can get to raw milk without going to an actual farm. Yeah. Market. Yeah. And so that, that's sold in Whole Foods and it's not... Yeah, you know that much more expensive than a regular grass-fed milk. It's like I think a couple dollars more. You know, a dollar well, and going more. back to the theme yeah. of this book, it's probably like two to four x as nutritious. Yeah, so you're you know it's worth those dollars. Totally. And actually, another thing this book made me realize it made the whole supplement industry make a lot more sense to me because I I always had this like yeah. thing. I mean, I feel better when I take supplements. I think most people would agree uh, and m- many people take supplements and so i'm not knocking supplements i'm just saying the thought i've always had is like why do i need to take this when like my grandparents never took this and they all lived into their 80s or like even older and were in great shape and and now i'm like you know in my i'm not in my 20s anymore but i was in my 20s taking supplements i'm like why the hell do i need this stuff like why do i feel better with this than without it um but i think it's like the foods we're just eating are like just empty a lot of them yeah and and you just need that support. Ben Greenfield has this like good line about this because he's, you know, he's sort of like a health nut and super, you know, focused on incredible food quality and all this stuff. And he takes a, a ton of supplements. And so people were like giving him shit for it. And his point was like what you said, Neil, where he was, he was saying, you know, you need, you need unnatural responses to unnatural stressors. Hmm. And we don't, we don't live in the natural world. So you can't so expect true. to, you can't expect to just eat and live as if you do and not have consequences. It's actually a great point. Yeah, yeah. I've talked about this with my coach about like running too. You know, there's all of this focus on like super minimalist or barefoot running and like those really, really light shoes. And it's like, that's great if you can actually run on prairie and yeah. trail 100% of the time. But like, 
we don't live in that world. You need cushion in your shoes if you don't want to destroy your knees and hips from concrete and even packed down trail, right? Like it's going to wear on you eventually. Another thing to the point of like not living in a natural world, the glyphosate stuff was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. It, yeah, I, this that's is another Europe one where I kind of like always better. knew like, oh, glyphosate's bad, but I don't totally understand why it's like, oh, okay, this is why. <laughs> this yeah, I mean, there's like awful. a, yeah, and there's uh, Justin, who's actually who had recommended this book to me in the first place. Justin Mears has a, a very good newsletter on, on health and fitness as well. In his last uh, newsletter, he had something about uh, kind of glyphosate levels in different foods in different areas, like different regions. So like the, the, permissible amount i think was like 0.1 in drinking water in europe was like 0.1 part per billion or something like that so basically not like zero essentially i think in the u.s it was like a thousand uh parts per billion i think it's like two hundred thousand. no i think this was in drinking water it was it's very high oh oh was that food and then yeah and then it was like a conventional strawberry was at like two hundred thousand or something like that yeah it was it was insanely high uh this is something europe does a lot better yeah, well, every time you go there, you feel better. I was just in Italy for nine days. And like, if you just took photos of my food, it looked like I was eating terribly. But I felt so much better and I lost like four pounds. Yeah, yeah. there's something about pasta, pizza, like I. Uh, soybean. It was soybeans, Neil. Uh, soybeans. Uh, uh, yep. 12,000 part per billion found in GMO soybeans. Yep. Well, and almost <laughs> all of it is GMO. That's the that's the one thing yeah. with certain types of crops because they, they basically mass spray. So it's like. This is something I guess the book really helped me understand too is like the whole GM, how GMO relates to all of this. So basically, GMO allows them to essentially edit the genes of a plant so that it's resistant to a pesticide or herbicide. And then they can spray the whole field with that pesticide or herbicide. So it kills everything except the, the, the GMO plant that was in there. That's the, yeah. that's the idea. And so, you know, it's, and, and it's, I think it was Monsanto, right? Was the company that. Mm-hmm. Kind of pioneered this, um, Monsanto, the, uh, the the sponsors of the All In podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the note on the second Monsanto pa- uh, patent? No, the second patent was around using glyphosate as an antibiotic. Oh yes, antibiotic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. A, a, a metal chelator like- and an antibiotic. It's so bad. <laughs> I, I think of this in terms of your like your gut health once you eat this food. It's like. You always say like oh, an antibiotic that you take as a treatment for like you know getting sick. Afterwards, you should supplement with like a probiotic, prebiotic, so on. It's like you just need that every day because it's like a war zone down there. Because anything yeah. you put down there is killing your microbiome. So, so not only that, not only that is that antibiotics are also uh, very highly correlated with weight gain, which is why a lot of mm. conventional farms, like when you've probably seen on like chicken, it'll say like no antibiotics. Yeah. Mo- like most chicken in the United States has antibiotics because it makes them grow. It makes them grow bigger than they would otherwise. And food is sold by weight. So as a farmer, like that's kind of what your incentives are. And so if you think about yeah. our population, like the amount of antibiotics you're probably accidentally consuming through drinking water, through glyphosate food. I wonder how much of a correlation that has with our body size. Like what, when you go to Europe, people huge, don't look yeah. the way they Absolutely. do in the United States. Yeah. Like, yeah. These are all salt, like these are great innovations when you don't have fast last mile delivery, when you don't have an ability to keep things like refrigerated for a long time, so on. But 
I mean, the book focused a lot on how you bring soil back and like each level of the pyramid that you discussed, Neil. You, you almost these problems are less prevalent than they used to be. I think this is what Europe does really well is they're like they have local supply chains. Yeah. You're like, yeah, yeah we'll just like pick it now and then you'll eat it within <clears throat> the next few days. I, I also was going to say, that, uh, oh, go ahead, Nat. Go ahead. I was going to say the, the book made me really grateful that like I live in Austin because, you know, like I and I was talking about there because I talked about this last night. Like I could I could tell you where like every single piece of meat in our freezer came from. Right. Like I can mm. I could point to the farm on a map and that's like yeah. not something you could do in a lot of places. And if I wanted to do that for our produce, I could, too. Like there's some really good farms like within a short drive of here that just do a daily farmer's market of whatever they picked fresh that day. And so I could just be like buying all of our produce there and be eating that. And I, it kind of made me want to go more in that direction after reading this. So you can't do all the recipes that you might want to do because different stuff's in season or not, but it's like, Oh, that's actually probably worth doing to get that extra quality level. You know, miles said that once about i think I'll, when i was talking to him uh miles uh you mm-hmm. know the cooking miles yeah yeah that's how that's how people know him. miles uh, snyder yeah mother course. tongue cooking club you should check him out yep incredible um, cooking newsletter twitter he he was saying once about how uh eating in season is like a feature not a not a bug and yeah i think that's something we like we expect to be able to get all our fruits and vegetables like no matter what time of year it is and that's like that's very I think, at least in my opinion, seems to be a very like American thought process. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, fuck nature. Like, we should be able to get... <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I want an orange in the winter. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> uh, something interesting I learned about that, though, is if you do want to get stuff out of season, get it frozen. Oh, yeah. Don't oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. get it fresh. Because they, they freeze it at the peak of season. Yep. And then keep it frozen all year. Whereas when you're getting fresh stuff out of season, they're like spraying it with chemicals and stuff to like mess with the harvest. And Oh yeah. There's uh, all these tricks that if you go like, like you Google stuff, like you can, you find like tomatoes are a great example in that. Like there's probably a reason you hated tomatoes growing up. It's very yeah, easy. Don't they like pick them green and it, then yeah. spray them with some chemicals? So they artificially yeah, yeah. ripen them. I think it's with like ethylene or something, but it, that's not really like something a chemical. Ethylene's fairly, fairly, uh, I, it's basically whatever is naturally emitted from apples. You know that whole thing, like you put apples yeah, in there, like, yeah. or something. So it's it's whatever that is. They spray it on there, but that doesn't actually mean like it tastes better. It just reddens it. That's all it is. Mm, That's all it it's doing. Interesting. Yeah. So you're probably yeah. having like these totally unripe tomatoes, and you're like, man, I hate tomatoes. They they suck. And then you have like a real tomato for the first time, and you're like, yeah, you know, this tastes great. The core thing in the U.S., like what that solves is you have a place like Manhattan and you need stuff to just be available and you can't depend on like, you know, same day, short time frame, yada, yada. But the European cities do it. And I'm yeah, very curious. Yeah. And also like the price, like the purchasing, the PPP for fruits and vegetables there appears to be like you can buy more like per unit that you're earning. I have no idea how they've made those economics work out. There's a couple things that we do that I think I don't know what they do, right? So for what it's worth, yeah. I don't know. I, I can only speak to like what I've seen here. So a couple things we do, which is kind of ridiculous, is like we have a lot of subsidies. So there's a ton of subsidies in the food system. Like most people don't realize that there is, you know, I think a floor price for like milk that like a farmer, as long as they're like, but it has to meet their definition of like what milk is, which is you know pasteurized and like 
milk you product. Know, yeah. So, so, so basically government subsidizes milk on many levels. Think about like school lunches are all like milk is considered a part of every single mm-hmm. school lunch, chocolate milk and all these other bullshit products, right? Part of, yeah. part of school lunches. Uh, corn, soy, and wheat, I think, are all three subsidized as well. Um, and again, they're subsidized based on volume. It's like how much you're you know, growing. And, and I think you get a guaranteed price as well for that. And then it's also subsidized. And this is the part I think a lot of people miss is like, we're also subsidizing the healthcare system so much. It's like we're because I mean, we're, we're in the worst of all worlds, I think, with our healthcare system because it's not single payer. So the government doesn't really care about the cost, but it also mm. is like not market. There's like not really market forces at play in healthcare either. And so it's like the food companies are kind of also being subsidized by the healthcare system. And so like, because it's like you're, all this stuff has consequences down the road for people in the, in the moment and down the road, actually, like there's a reason chronic disease is completely out of control in the United States. And it, I think in Europe, like weirdly, they'd probably have a different subsidy system for foods. Like, I mean, mm. let's say you can't get rid of subsidies, like don't take a libertarian approach. And let's say you're going to keep the same subsidies. Why aren't the subsidies going to organic foods? Like, that's just like such an easy thing. Like, why don't we subsidize organic foods for people? <laughs> you know, like, why is that not where the subsidy is? Yeah, I don't know. It's just like little stuff like that. It's like yeah. where the money is going is not towards not towards actually what benefits people's health. And then the small farmers too. I think we have a lot of we have a lot of large farming companies. Like a lot of uh, it's like very consolidated here too. I wonder if in, I, I don't know this, so this could be wrong. But I I'm guessing maybe Europe is more of a small farmer environment. Hmm. It is one of those things where like there are certain products that get better at scale, and there are products that get much worse. Like tech seems to get better at scale. Like a a huge company like Apple can make a better phone or a better chip than a tiny company, right? But food seems to inevitably get worse, right? Like almost like anything, anything that could be considered artisanal or whatnot is going to get worse, right? Yeah. As as it gets bigger, I, I wonder what it is that causes that trade-off in general i'm trying to think of like other examples right a natural world is imprecise and highly localized yeah yeah yeah. well and they talk about that here too right like uh the they're talking about the cattle feed and they have what is it frms fmrs the cattle rations basically based on the military food (laughs) where they just have like one standardized kind of cattle feed oh yeah Versus when they get to forage on their own. Yeah. Uh, well, and one thing yeah. I talked about that is really interesting. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there was this like study in human infants where they had like a bunch of sick babies and they just gave them a bunch of different foods they could pick from. And they naturally picked the foods that like made them healthy, that gave them what they needed. And the book was talking about cattle and monkeys and other animals doing the same thing. When they get sick, they naturally eat the foods that help them deal with their deficiencies and whatnot. But if you feed them all the exact same thing, they can't do that. So they just get sicker and sicker and sicker. Uh, and so it's, you have that too. I think we all show. have that. I, I think humans have totally. that too. Uh, like adult humans have yeah. that too. But I think you do get like I don't know influenced or uh, the like. You have to kind of pull I think out. It gets the veil. dysregulated. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Because there, I, I'm sure you've noticed times where you crave more fruit or more meat or more mm-hmm. like whatever, and 
Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I can't get enough of this thing. And then you just eat it. And then there's like a point where you're like, all right, I'm not in the mood for that anymore. You know? And yeah, it doesn't like, it's not perfect, but you can't be like, oh, I'm craving cookies and like, just go eat all the cookies that (laughs) you possibly can. But even that actually usually signals something. Like if you're craving, uh, I think yeah. it's either salt or sugar. It usually means you're actually dehydrated, and you should. Yeah, if you're craving sugar, it means you yeah. need salt usually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 Some what happens if you're craving salt? Just then you're also salt, salt deprived. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I never really crave sugar. I mostly crave. I usually crave salt. That's like my mm. my. Uh, not all the time. Yours might be better regulated. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, on, on the rare occasions where I am craving sugar, I, I often find that if I have like an element or something, the craving goes away. Interesting. Like a good hack. Did you guys catch the story? I, I think it was just a very short story that he d- had about um, the British like World War II diet. Yeah. And how it improved. Yeah. Their health. That was so cool. So they basically Super had like the ration system and then they also forced like the bakers to use more of like a higher percentage, I guess, of whole grains in the loaves because it's less wasteful. So basically, I guess with whole grain, you put in a hundred. I think it was like you put in like a hundred pounds of, fl- of flour, you get a hundred pounds of bread back or, you, or no, no, sorry, you get a hundred pounds of grain, you get a hundred pounds of flour back because you're using every single part of the of the grain, whereas refined, you're not um, refined flour is not getting you that same percentage. So the British government didn't do it for health reasons. They did it for like supply reasons. But it somehow led to actually much better health outcomes. Like they said, fewer cavities, fewer stillbirths, diet-related diseases declined across the whole population. Yeah. The study they did afterwards where they had like, they had two groups of uh, mice or rats and they fed them like the wartime diet and then the average diet. And the rats who had eaten the average diet eventually started to fight and kill each other and then eat each other's remains. Yep. Was... (laughs) Really dark. I'm actually crazy. Yeah. Well, and then when they switched them to the like the healthier diet, they recovered in days, apparently. Yeah. Right. And so they, they were all start starting to get like sick and malnourished and stuff. And as soon as they switched them back, they like recovered really quickly. But there is an intuitive side to this, right? It's like when you drink decaf coffee, you always know. You know, somebody yeah. doesn't really tell you. And like now <laughs> what you said about the tomato, it's like you could give you two tomatoes. Actually, in the book, they mention like you can bite into a tomato and you'll know uh, yeah. whether it's any good or not. Uh, I don't know. The gut feel goes a long way. Totally. I think so. Yeah. yeah. You're, like your body but, is pretty smart. Yeah. Yeah. That's not exactly what it's telling you, but if it's telling you something's wrong, it's always right. It's probably wrong. <laughs> yeah, that, that said, there is like a whole industry around tricking you as well, which is yeah. kind of interesting. You know, like, yeah, the social yeah. side of this, like, I mean, advertising for food is an obvious one, but in the book they were talking about white bread as high class, right? Or and white rice is high class too. Yeah. That yeah. was a really interesting one. Yeah, yeah. But now that's flipped. Now, like you go to a Chipotle or like a Sweet Green, and like brown rice is high class. Mm-hmm. That's true. But it's not because it's yeah, right? like, <laughs> it's <a good> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The another interesting one that they had mentioned was there was a study on lung cancer in Japan, which I always think is interesting because they have extremely high smoking rates but extremely Mm. long life expectancies and it looked like so it says this is from the book it says among other things the study compared rates of cancer for cigarette smokers who ate green and yellow vegetables like carrots spinach green peppers pumpkin leeks and lettuce on a daily basis against rates among smokers who did not habitual vegetable eaters had about half the mortality rate 
from lung cancer. It's actually pretty interesting. Wow. It's like it's like yeah, smoking is yeah. probably not good for you, but there probably are things in their diet that they're doing uh, that make their lung cancer rates just a lot less than in other parts of the yeah. world. French people are the same. Well, I'm just, their smoking rates are pretty yeah. high too. Um, I wonder yeah. how much of this is just like you're chronically inflamed from bad food, so any additional stress, yes, be it smoking or otherwise, alcohol is probably the same way. Much more damage. I mean, think about like yeah. Italy, a deal like the amount of wine that yeah. gets consumed. It's like not. It, you know, it's not a small amount, but I guess there the other things that are being eaten are counteracting that in some way, or or they're totally. just like not chronically inflamed, and so the little they, their body can handle that slight amount extra. Have you guys ever taken a CRP uh, inflammation test? No, it's been on my list. I maybe we can all squat up and, yeah. and do it. <laughs> um, I'm almost scared to see what the answer is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nat, I'd be curious to see yours versus we got like two Manhattan people and then we have you and all. <laughs> uh, so actually on, on that note, I recently found out that I like can't eat gluten anymore. Oh, that, you did a test or yeah. like you just. No, I, uh, I, so I had this like weird experience two or three months ago where I was using, I was trying out those NAD patches from Anthony's new company. So it's like a, it's just like a patch you wear to get like an NAD plus drip throughout the day. And like Nat is kind of this like anti-inflammatory recovery supplement. Um, but it's, it's really gnarly and painful to do as an IV. Like it's apparently just miserable. It's almost like a low grade version of getting chemo. Um, but it's like, it's, it's really good for any part of your body that's like overstressed or over inflamed or something like it basically like gives energy back to depleted parts of your body. It's, it's a cool supplement. And, uh, so I was trying it out and like the first time I did it, didn't really notice anything. And then I got the flu and I was like puking my guts out. And then I put on the NAD patch after, and it was like the best I could remember feeling in my entire life Wow! where it was just like a, it was like a different, I was like a different person, just felt insane. And then it went away after a few days. And I was like, okay, like, you know, maybe that's just from the NAD, like something about the supplement made me feel that way. And so I, I kept trying them and like, none of them felt it didn't, it never felt the same afterwards. And so I was like, okay, like something weird is going on here. So I got blood work done and like from the blood there were like a few things with the blood work that suggested i had some sort of like chronic inflammation and so my coach was basically saying like you know any of these in isolation it might be like a supplement or a lifestyle thing or whatever he's like but it kind of looks like maybe you have a food sensitivity Hmm. so why don't you just try he's like there's a bunch of things we can try cutting out but just like start with gluten because that's the one i see most often so i cut it out it was like literally night and day I mean, wow. huge improvement in like sense of like well-being day to day, like heart rate went down, HRV went up, like mentally felt so much better. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> and in reading this book, it was like, you know, it's probably not actually necessarily the weed. It's probably like how we get it in the US. Even And even like, I'm I'm pretty good about my sourcing and stuff, but it like, I think I just had a moderate intolerance that compounded for 30 odd years. So I got like a, a, an indirect inflammation test and it was like, oh yeah, like something's not right here. Wow. Even if you're sourcing really carefully, if you're eating out every two to three days, like at that point, the disruption is probably 
a whole other yeah. source of stress. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, like, I feel better now not eating it, but like, I haven't had a full night of sleep in a month. And it feels better than it felt before <laughs> when I like was sleeping and stuff, but eating it, uh, which is pretty crazy. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. yeah I guess that's one of those things where uh, you probably didn't even know that that wasn't normal until no. you. Yeah. Had I mean, that it's just MAD. like a slow burn. That, yeah. It yeah. just slowly picks away at you. And, and what really, what it really was, was the combination of puking and the NAD. Cause hmm. like I clear, I must've cleared all of it out of my system. Mm. You know, so there was nothing in there inflaming me anymore. And that's why it didn't work as well the subsequent times because I was still eating it. Yeah. Because the puking yeah. probably purged it. And then. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Kind of crazy. Yeah. I think, I mean, I I also suspect for gluten, I mean, for gluten and dairy and most of these, like, not, I, I think, like, maybe nut allergies could be different, but, like, um, I think, like, glu- the, into- the food intolerances. I think yeah, to your point of like dairy are the big ones where it's like it's definitely a quality it could be quality or it could be a microbiome thing as well like it could that be too. um yeah yeah because i've heard of people reversing their gluten intolerance but it takes a long time like you know i don't even know what they do necessarily but i, I have <laughs> seen anecdotal stories which i'm sure maybe you've looked at those more but i i think that yeah. i think if i lay off it for six to twelve months and take like a fuck ton of probiotics and fermented food and then only consume fermented wheat, so like sourdough and stuff. I can, I'll probably be able to do that. Yeah, but I'll be curious to try it in like a year. Yeah, because the weird like thing about a microbiome, for now. the weird thing about a microbiome, if you think about it, is if a species of bacteria, because there's like millions of different species of bacteria in your gut, and if one of them goes extinct, that was responsible for digesting a certain compound. There's no way for it to come back. Unless you introduce it again, yeah, and feed it properly, well, there, like that. That, that I, part is so interesting about that with like fermented food and probiotics, where it's like it, you need to do something crazy, like eat four to six servings of fermented food a day to make up for the lack of probiotics that we naturally get in our food anymore. Wow! Like because we're not eating much dirt, we're not eating like live dairy. We're Do just you guys like eat a lot getting. of raw foods? I feel like I don't eat that many raw foods besides like fruit. Yeah, just fruit. Yeah. And I think that's like mm. like cooking, I feel like is one of those. Uh, like if we just, again, go back to like grandma wisdom or ancestral wisdom, it's like there's probably our percentage of cooked versus uncooked food is also a little off. And probably uncooked food, you actually get exposed to bacteria quite a bit. I'm sure yeah, there's I'm bacteria sure. in like an apple or in something like that. Angela and I started hoarding uh, sauerkraut again a few months ago. Mm. When Nat and I lived together last year of college, we would buy like two gallon kraut jars at Costco. <laughs> good times. And, uh, those were good times. Um, Dude, that's actually so good. Not, not, and then we actually tried making it. It was a little bit harder than we thought it would be. Uh, it, it, it molds really hard. easily. I, mold, I've always had a hard time easily. with it. Yeah. yeah. We tried a couple jars and then we had to travel. So we kind of gave up on it. But kimchi as well i've had a much easier time like fermenting carrots and jalapenos and things like that mm. that that goes really easily but something I, i've started doing is like one eating kimchi but then pouring the leftover kimchi residue over like other vegetables <laughs> as kind of like a salad dressing yeah and that's actually quite tasty and then you're just eating raw vegetables with a ton of extra probiotic on it it's also very good on rice 
uh, oh, smart. No, I, yeah. I guess you you're cutting rice, but yeah. Wait, you're not cutting yeah. rice. Nat, are you cutting rice? I, I'm having less. I'm having, having less. less. Okay. I was gonna say I was like, yeah, I don't think yeah. rice has gluten, but no, it doesn't. Yeah. But to the point of like nutrient dense foods. Oh, it's not. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. not a very. It's like when I'm looking at the things that I eat in a given day, rice is clearly the least nutrient dense one. Yeah. On the point of even like, I know you're cutting out gluten, but on the point of even bread, it's like when we say like cutting out bread or, or you shouldn't eat bread, it's like the the definition of bread, it could be so different depending <laughs> yeah. on what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like you got into sourdough for a while, I think, right? Or like, you, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that like good sourdough just doesn't even feel like the same product as like, I don't no, know. it's a completely different white food. Yeah. bread or something. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the texture is totally different. The taste is totally different. Nutritional profile is totally different. Like you feel different after you eating. Feel it, different yeah. after eating it. Yeah, it's just like shocking. Yeah, I mean, like the fresh sourdough with raw butter and salt is like just an incredible food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, that's the other thing I that mean, tastes so different in so. Europe. Bread, like yeah. a lot of times, the bread, bread in really Europe different. is just not the same. Dude, 10 days in Italy. Last year, we spent a month in Istanbul and we just ate whatever we wanted. And it was generally stuff that if you just took a photo of it, you'd be like, a deal. What are you doing? But <laughs> yeah. just, I don't know. Uh, oh, you know. It, it's a bit of a meme now, the whole like there's something in America. But I like, know. yeah, there really is. Um, there really is. I, I'd be curious because I know we have to wrap in a few minutes, right, Neil? Yeah. I'd be curious for the, the solutions. So, because... So every single level is to some degree fucked. The soil is in a bad state. All the regulation around farming is bad. All the general farming practices are bad. Like we're optimizing for the wrong things. Da 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 da. But there were some interesting solutions that I was thinking. Oh, go ahead, Neil. Yeah, I'm actually very bullish on. Like I think things are are on the the right trajectory. I mean, it could be a lot yeah. better. I don't want to be like overly yeah. optimistic, but I think there are. Like the amount of people I think who know about this stuff, like I just think back to Nat or like, I know you and I have talked about this. Like when we were growing up, I feel like nobody knew about any of this. Yeah, stuff. people didn't know. Now I think a lot of people, like mm. the education has gotten a lot better. I think the accessibility, like people still are intimidated by, you know, buying from a farm or like, like, you know, I think those things still have like the distribution still has a ways to go. But I will say even at like Costco, you can get like so many different organic products now that you definitely couldn't get five years ago, even like that's changed. Costco actually apparently has really good organic produce sourcing. Yeah. I've heard something about that before. Like, you know, whole foods is great, but uh, you know, if you, if you need something that's more like cost effective, Costco organic produce is like really quite good. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm, I think things are trending in the right direction on that. I think on the regenerative farming stuff, there this there was a stat in the book. I don't have the exact number uh, in my notes here, but like the amount of acres dedicated to regenerative farming has like exploded in the last like fifteen oh, wow. years. Yeah, yeah. It's there's also some I, good sites too that people have built just like to find a regenerative farm near you. Like a deal. There's one that I buy from that delivers into New York. They just deliver on Wednesday. You have to go pick it up. They come to Penn Station with your like a box of whatever you bought. But you know That's you can get awesome. all great. sorts of. You can even get raw milk from them, which is cool. Um, can you can you link me to that? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've told you guys this yet, uh, but Angela and I are planning on leaving the city in September. Ooh, us too. Actually, us. Yeah, us too. This is like a pretty. <laughs> 
major motivator actually is there's just wow. like towns upstate and it's get more land, have your own garden. Yeah. Um, did you find a house? Like, did you put in an offer or not yet? But, uh, okay. we've like narrowed in on a town and, Hell yeah. uh, even if we don't buy before September, we're just going to move up there and then rent month to month until we buy. That's amazing. Yeah, it's so exciting. Th- this you. is like, this is one of the most exciting pieces of it. So we, we have some friends up there. So we've just been like, who's your butcher? Who's your guy? Like, that's great. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, for the four yeah. months that I need to tide myself over till that. <laughs> no, also there are some great yeah. farms out of like, once you get out of the city, like the state of New York, I'm guessing you're staying in New York, like the state of New York. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. there's, I mean, there are, like I, I even in Maryland, like where my mom is, like there's regenerative farms there. Like you can, mm-hmm. I'll send you this site. There's a we can put it. In yeah, the notes lots to too. see. It. Um, there's, there's just, also like the raw milk finder website somebody built. Like people have built all these like cool tools. I, so overall, like not to people are really the looking point. for it now. Yeah, yeah, not to belabor the point, but it's like I think things are trending in the right direction, and I yeah. think like we could do a lot better. But uh, it's not like the situation is not as I know we talked about problems for the whole episode, but it's not that dire. Like, I think it's, it, the, it is dire, the, but I think we're getting better. The piece yeah. that feels dire and largely irreversible is topsoil erosion. That one is just very. That, I, I actually think that one's not that dire either because they showed so many examples of being able improving. to significantly rehab the soil. You can rehab, people, but depth of topsoil is also really important. So you can get like right. a few inches, you can get a foot. There are parts of the world that have like, three four feet of topsoil and i think in the u.s it's like the average is a few inches and we that's probably like used a to have that multi-century it's a multi-century yeah. task yeah yeah um, well i think that kind of goes back to like you know on the individual level the best thing you can do is just vote with your dollars yeah right it's like the more money you spend on stuff that's sourced regeneratively or from local farms like the more you'll be doing to contribute to fixing the problem yeah um and i'll Oh, I mentioned it earlier, but like another shout out, if you don't actually, if you don't have access to something near you or a, a, a farm or butcher near you, like force of nature stuff is quite good. Mm. Like they do, they're super, super intentional about their sourcing and it's all regeneratively raised livestock. So, uh, and they'll ship in the country or you can find it in whole foods. And like, that's a pretty good option. Way better than the meat at whole foods in the like meat aisle. Like don't. Mm. Don't buy that. <laughs> <laughs> there's um okay. there's another company I saw the other day in the organ meat category. It's called Pluck. It's basically oh, like cool. a, have you heard of this or no? No. It's like a seasoning, it's like a seasoning type ish product, but made from okay. uh organ meat. So it's I think liver, yeah. heart, and kidney, I want to say. There were three three different types of organs. Basically, the idea was like just it, you know, if it tastes good, you know, they have different flavors. If it tastes good, you're going to just put it on everything, you know, eggs and, yeah, like, yeah. you know, meat and snacks and, like, all this stuff. And I think the real target is uh, kids because, you know, kid, like, mm. it's hard, sometimes hard to get a kid to eat, like, beef liver or something. Dude, uh, it is not hard at all. They <laughs> love it. Oh, my God. If you put... That's another sign, like, right? Uh, Isn't that, like, goes back yeah, to if the... you put pate in front of Sutton, she's just, like, by the wow. handful. Wow, it's crazy. Looks like me. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, pate is good. <laughs> it is good. I uh, I made her bison liver pate from uh, the bison we harvested for my birthday, and she ate just like tons of it. She's wow, so happy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I guess goes back to like I feel like kids have a better radar. On kids a lot are smart of stuff. Yeah, they're really smart. Yeah, they're really intuitive about it. Neil, do you want to talk at all about the new job? And I feel like that relates pretty closely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it relates a bit because we don't do food 
much right oh. now. We do we do some foods, but we you know other than okay. like kettle and fire, we we want to get into the regenerative farming side. It's just like the laws around HSA are very hmm. annoying when it comes to food um, that's not packaged, right? So it's like mm. they, they really make it hard to use. So I'll take a step back. The company is called TrueMed. So TrueMed.com started actually by Justin Mares and Callie Means. And I'm leading uh, BizDev for the company. So I've been talking to a lot of cool brands, doing a lot of interesting things around health. The, the, the whole point of the company is basically to allow brands that are not traditionally companies that can accept HSAs. Uh, so not like CVS or you know Walmart Pharmacy and places like that. So brands more like you know fitness companies or companies like Kettle and Fire that sell you know regeneratively farmed bone broth, like companies that sell clear like products that are clearly good for your health um, to accept tax advantage dollars through like HSAs and FSAs. So there's some it's there's some nuance into how brands do that through us and how we let uh, consumers do that. Because you know you have to make sure you comply with like the IRS and all this annoying stuff. But I've gotten to meet a lot of really cool. Like there's so many interesting things out there that people are working on, which I think has made me more bullish on like just overall health and the future of America. I think like it, well, it does. Right to it. Yeah, it does feel like things are bad. But on the other hand, you know, like the numbers look really bad, and I don't know. I don't know how this gets solved on like a full society level without like. This sounds so like I can't believe these words are about to come out of my mouth, but uh, without like government involvement <laughs> or changes, <laughs> because it's just well, that's like, how we got here, and that's why we're still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's like there. It's almost like the wrong things are subsidized right now, and like even yeah. like the whole debate. I don't know if anyone's followed what Callie has been talking about with snap being like snap so food stamps. Um, yeah, because you can't use snap on fresh food, right? It's no, only on I th- packaged food? no, I or think you can. You, isn't there something weird with that? You okay. can. They're trying to like. So one thing that's been being pushed for is like not. You can't use Snap for like alcohol and you know other so, some other that's types of products like that. Um, but there's a push to like make you not allowed to buy soda or like sugar, yeah. like uh, sugary mm-hmm. sodas. I think you could still buy diet, but there's so much backlash against such a simple solution, like such a simple prop- proposal, like. People are saying like, wow, Coke is going to go out of business. How many jobs is that going to cost? Because Coke makes $6 billion a year off of uh, food stamps, which is wild. (laughs) Like $6 billion worth of SNAP benefits go to uh, Coca-Cola. But my thought is they'll just shift their... They'll just shift their dollars to another product. Coke doesn't just sell Coca-Cola. They sell like... Well, they'll they'll also just keep focusing overseas, right? Like, doesn't Coke not make most of their money in the US That's probably true too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's also, one of those like, things where it's like it's just one of those things where it's like what if you could incentivize like cuz one of the things people bring up which this book also brought up um was about uh, affordability of these foods. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, is this like a rich person game or like an upper middle class thing and not accessible for people? And I think it's a, that's valid. It is a valid criticism. Like can you feed like now I'm sure I think we've talked about this even before. It's like when we talk about people eating like more local meat or better raised meat, like the counterpoint is always, well, then how will everyone have enough meat, right, to make that work? It's, yeah. a, it's a valid point. Um, Does the same argument not apply where it starts expensive and then the price gets lowered as exactly. you can scale? Like, it should, yeah. unless you can't actually scale. scale yeah. Yeah. This kind of regenerative farming. Right? But I think the volume even stuff of like rotational grazing. Down. 
But I think the volume of food needed goes down a, a bit in that case. Like, I think the land needed goes down because yields per acre increase or something. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I, yeah. I know I, this is like I'm out of my depth here, but I know there's something with rotational grazing and multi crop planting where you can basically have like a whole variety of vegetables and things on land. And then as they're maturing and being harvested, you're like rotating cattle and goats and stuff onto it. And so you're using the same land for like yep. every part of the food system as you kind of like move everything around. And so it becomes significantly more efficient per acre. Uh, but it doesn't work with industrial scale farming. So yeah, it, it works happen. on a smaller type of farm. So Gabe Brown, who's cited in this book and who I had on Outside the System, talked about this for his farm on the show. So basically, he was saying his his farm versus his neighbor's farm, who's like more of a conventional farmer. Um, I forget what crop they were comparing. It was, I think, winter wheat or something like that. And he was saying how his neighbor has a better yield per acre than him on winter wheat, which is, you know, fair. Like, you know, he's using conventional practices, probably has a better yield. And I think it was like, I forget the number, but it was like, you know, some dollars per acre is what his neighbor's getting versus the dollars per acre he's getting. That's like the metric that they use to compare. His was maybe like 20% less. Like it wasn't so, it wasn't like he's getting 10% of what his neighbor's getting, but he was getting like 80%, right? So it's, but his is organic and regeneratively farmed. But then his follow up point, which I think is exactly what you were talking about, Nat, is he's like, but since he does this like um, multi use of the land, he doesn't do monocropping. He was like, I also have like honey from the bees on my land that I sell. I have the meat from the the and the dairy from the cows and the goats that I raise on the same property. Mm-hmm. Like chickens for pest control because he's like chickens are a great pest control because they eat a lot of insects. You know, like and they're you know I guess their shit is also useful for the for the ground for their yeah. soil. There's just like a lot of things he was saying that he sells in addition to just the winter wheat as as just an example. So his his net per acre revenue was much, much higher than his neighbors, actually. Um, but I don't know if that scales, right? Which is the question. Right. Well, it seems like it theoretically should. I mean, you would need more labor, right? More space. But I don't see any reason why if you had the people oh. to manage it, you couldn't scale up to 100 acres or 1,000 acres and whatever. Yeah. And then in the book, they talked about the uh, amount of fertilizer, like how much fertilizer costs, right? And that was oh, yeah. it was not yeah. insignificant. No. Yeah, so, so you can use natural manure. Like that's huge. Yeah. It's like a big cost. Well, and we we didn't even get into like how the animal nutrients in animals have changed radically too because of all these changes in the food supply. Like this is really crazy. Uh Anthony's talked about this before, but if you ba- there's basically no way to get chicken or pork in the US anymore that isn't like 20% or more uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids. So oh, like wow. if you're trying to avoid eating seed oils and like high omega-6 foods, if you're eating chicken and pork, you're basically eating seed oils because wow. their diet has changed their fat composition so much because they're all wow. eating like corn and soybeans. And even if you get pigs and chickens that are raised on an ancestral diet, their like genetic makeup has changed so much from breeding over the last hundred years that even if they're fed a good diet now, their fatty acid composition is still messed up. 
like Anthony wow. Rant's experiment on it. Like you can get it better, but you almost have to import your chicken and pork from another country <laughs> if you don't want. You know what's interesting is those are the like, two meats that I have kind like I was, I was kind of basing this off of uh, how I feel when I eat them, and those are the two things yeah. that I've mostly cut out. I, I wouldn't say I don't yeah. eat pork. I, I eat pork pretty rarely, and then chicken I eat more often, but not very often. But I've been like mostly been eating like seafood and uh, mm. other types and like red meat, like you know. And the, uh, the interesting and thing beef. with with ruminants is that because of the whole like rumen system and the multi chambered stomach and stuff, they can process out yes. a lot more of the glyphosate and mm. other shit. That's what I've heard as well. Yeah, monogastric animals like pigs and chickens can't, and humans. So yeah, and humans. Yeah. So mm. if you're eating a chicken that was fed Monsanto glyphosate soybeans like you're getting a lot of that through the chicken yep but if a cow is eating grass that's been sprayed with a whole bunch of like pesticides and shit it's not getting through to you because they fermented out of their system through their like crazy stomach system. like more dilution yeah yeah i mean so and you beef can't, is actually and you can't like be perfect. generally safer and you're yeah, not gonna be, be perfect, perfect with it because it's like if you think about it like when they spray i'm sure some gets onto yeah. other farms like when gay brown but if you're going to mcdonald's it, yeah. for example right like if you're going to mcdonald's like get beef don't get chicken and pork yeah basically that makes sense yeah because of yeah yeah and and i guess that's also why humans might not be as good at dealing with these environmental disruptors because we're yeah we can't filter too yeah yeah but yeah i think we'll put some links in the show notes there's probably yeah. some good for people i mean if you listen to this and you're interested in buying from a regeneratively farmed source there's oh yeah sites that another shout out that. for anyone in austin there's a company now called rooted that drops oh, yeah. off a monthly I've seen uh, box of meat from local ranches at your door uh and a, and a negative shout out is uh there's a <laughs> i won't i won't name it too explicitly but there is a national brand that delivers supposedly well-sourced meat to your house every month and the the word on the street from everybody in the know in the industry is that they're perhaps fudging the quality of their product a little bit. Oh, so no, I would recommend fired. finding a more local solution. <laughs> it's oh, probably man. just better anyway to have it local. It's better to find a local one anyway. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited for the next Nat Twitter war. Yeah, Nat gets sued. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always good. I like it when they come up a couple times a year. They're, they're I'm, off, I'm off Twitter, guys. <laughs> mental health. Uh, we got to get the numbers up on how many S ones you're mentioned in as a threat. <laughs> <laughs> it would be amazing if he was in the uh, was a proud S1. moment. <laughs> you have each of them framed on there, the wall. <laughs> there, there was a subtle enough thing in the Oatly S one for me to at least tell myself that they were talking about me and Jeff in the in the threats to their business section of the S one. There was something about like people online trying to discredit their business like something to that effect uh i was like i'll take it (laughs) um i gotta run here in like 30 seconds but next book river of doubt it's gonna be awesome so good so good oh my god (laughs) it's so good Uh, and that's episode 99 and so if you have thoughts on what we should do for episode 100 get those thoughts into us us asap because otherwise we're gonna plan something without you And leave a review. We Alrighty. got four new reviews since the last episode on Spotify, which yeah. is awesome. We're up to 54. Leave a review and send this episode to a friend. Yeah. A few friends. A few friends. A few friends. All right. Eat well. See you in a week. Yep. See you in a week. Eat well. See you guys. <laughs>